What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 92. We are currently recording this Thursday, March 16th, right after 7 p.m. here on the West Coast. A little bit of a later edition here of Down the Line, but that's okay because we got a lot going on the same time that we're recording. We got Northern Kentucky leading Houston right now in the NCAA tournament. They're up by two. Granted, nine minutes left in the first half, but still. Um, we got some games coming up tonight that still have yet to begin. We got UCLA playing UNC Asheville at 7-11. And then just five minutes later, Penn State, Texas A&M after that. So, Revan, this has really just been a jam-packed, sports-loaded, uh, just kind of Thursday here. Yeah, it has. You think about WBC going on, which we're going to touch upon with from the quarterfinals uh, taking place to the news from Team Puerto Rico with um, the injury involving Edwin Diaz. We're going to talk about, um, you know, news surrounding Major League Baseball. We're going to break down the American League Central as we're exactly two weeks away uh, from opening day on March 30th. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, this is really an exciting time of year, obviously, not just because of the NCAA tournament, but just because of what you mentioned, Brevin. Um, So much happening in the world of sports, you know, even for uh, leagues that are not currently active, like the NFL and free agency. We're going to get that get to that a little bit later, too. But let's start, as we always do here on down the line with our fast five and even. You know, in the kind of shorter week that we've had since we last recorded, a lot has happened since then, um, that including March Madness, which, like we mentioned before, we'll get to in a second. But uh, while you're at it, go ahead and listen to our last uh, bracket show that we just recorded on Tuesday, just a couple of days ago. That was our March Madness bracket show. Um, that's our breakdown of the NCAA tournament. And we give our picks in each region. Uh, round by round, and then we also give our picks for the national championship and the final score and the winner there, too. So uh, go ahead and listen to that. But uh, for now, let's get into the Fast Five, and that's starting with number one. And Aaron Rodgers has pretty much made a decision. He, yeah. He, um, mm-hmm. he was on the Pat McAfee show and says he's pretty much committing to the New York Jets. And, Brevin, uh, how much does this not only change the culture for the Jets, but – uh, in Green Bay, too, because this kind of just seems like a, a monumental move there, too. Yeah, you think about it from a Packers perspective. I think it tells you from Aaron Rodgers' perspective, who's won a Super Bowl, that, you know, it's time for Jordan Love to officially become the QB1 um, in that offense. And you think about it from a Jets perspective, you think about, um, you know, just the opportunity of being in, a big big city like New York, the Big Apple, and um, being able to compete against the Giants, but within a different conference. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a little eerie, too, because when you think about um, what happened with history kind of repeating itself, um, that's exactly what happened to Aaron Rodgers here, because back in uh, 2008, he was the back end of Brett Favre. Well, Favre got traded to the New York Jets. Well, guess what happens, you know, 15 years later? Aaron Mm -hmm. Rodgers was traded to the Jets, and now Jordan Love's presumably going to take over as a quarterback one. So definitely interesting story uh, developing there in both New York and Green Bay, and we're going to see how that continues to unfold and see 
if this trade is completed anytime soon too. So um, that's a big factor as well. But let's get to number two of the Fast Five as well, and that's two big upsets so far here in March Madness in the NCAA tournament. That is number 13-seeded Furman. They beat four-seeded Virginia, and that was coming out of the South region. Just a huge win there for Furman. And we're going to get to that a little bit later from our perspective, uh, speaking from me and Brevin. But uh, the other big upset here today was, I mean, just something to tore apart brackets in every single way possible. That's 15-seeded Princeton beating two Arizona. So a 13 and a 15 coming out on top here on day one of the tournament, Brevin. Yeah, it's March, and it's – that's why they call it March Madness for – they call it for a re- that's why they call it that for a reason. And we're not even 24 hours into this tournament. We're not even at the completion of this first weekend. And we've already seen two double digit seeds um, get a victory in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this continues to play out. Uh, once again, we're going to get to March Madness here a little bit later on in the show. But for now, let's move on to number three here with the Fast Five. Um, that is. Sources saying Michael Jordan, he is in talks to sell the majority stake in the Charlotte Hornets. So um, the Hornets up for sale and we're going to see what happens with that. But uh, this news pretty much just coming out within the past couple hours here or so. And uh, we're going to see if we can learn more. And uh, if we can, we'll bring it to you next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN, he um, put out a story regarding this. He said, um, uh, Jordan is engaged in serious talks to sell the majority stake um, in the franchise to a group led by Hornets minority owner Gabe Plotkin and Atlanta Hawks minority owner Rick Schnall. That was according to um, sources. No deal is imminent, but there has been momentum. Yeah, so we're going to see if that happens anytime here soon as well. Um, we've seen this, the selling process of teams just sometimes take really long periods of time to kind of sort out. So we're going to see if that's the case mm-hmm. here or uh, if, if uh, Jordan is able to find mm-hmm. his team soon enough. Yeah, one more thing to add on to that too within Wojnowski's story. He said that if a sale is completed, Jordan is expected to remain with a minority stake um within the franchise that's according to sources as well Mm -hmm. there you go that's a good point makes a lot of sense he still wants to remain involved in some capacity so we'll see if he's able to accomplish that Mm -hmm. all right let's move on to number four here of the fast five that being golden state warriors forward draymond green well he received his 16th technical foul yesterday in la against the clippers and now he's going to be suspended tomorrow, which is Friday, in that upcoming game against Atlanta. Brevin, what do you think about uh, this? And uh, we've only seen, you know, that uh, suspension come into light, I guess, for a couple of players so far this season. Yeah, we mentioned it last week with Dylan Brooks. Um, go check out episode number 91. And, you mm-hmm. know, I think it's becoming, you know, a, a routine thing for Draymond Green to get this um, technical foul number 16. It's just only a matter of time during the schedule. And, uh, you know, it's March. We're about a month away from the playoffs beginning and, or at least the playing tournament from beginning. And, yeah, you know, you think about 
um, you know, just the type, the demeanor that Draymond Green has on the floor. It's kind of like what we've seen from what have, um, you know, what have Den- um, Michael Jordan's former teammates and Dennis Rodman, you know, it's kind of that type of tenacity and that type of confidence that he has on the floor. And, you yeah. know, with that, that physicality is going to come these technical fouls, whether it's against the other, whether it's talking against with the other team, whether it's with the refs, you know, all those different things um come into play with this yeah I, th- I think it's pretty much you know your typical dream on green behavior this is what you expect and i mean we are past the halfway point of the season here obviously but um yeah it, it's uh definitely notable to talk about because it's it's kind of like an <laughs> annual thing it just always mm-hmm. seems to come back up you know so um that's gonna kind of affect how they uh approach their lineup there tomorrow too in atlanta um, so that'll be interesting to watch here. But number five, our last point here on the fast five, that being Edwin Diaz from Team Puerto Rico. Well, man, this was tough to see. He got injured moments after his team won and moved on from pool play in the World Baseball Classic. The results came back, and reports said that Diaz tore his right patellar tendon. He's now expected to miss the entire 2023 MLB season as a result. And he just inked that new deal, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah I think is, it was huge. either this past winter or last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, it was this year. Yeah. Um, you know, that big deal that he had. And it's just tough to see. It's one of those freaky accidents. You know, there's people that are going to get on the WBC for saying they shouldn't have this. Um, but you know, you think about it, I think Mike Trout said it best uh, from Team USA, the captain. You know, it's there's still spring training baseball going on right now as well. And guys get hurt. We've seen it from, you know, you look at Gavin Licks, for example. Um, you know, you think about, I think it was Brendan Rogers from the Colorado Rockies. Both of them are, are injured for most of the year and um, won't be able to compete for their teams. And what what makes it more impactful about Edwin Diaz is the role that he plays um, as a closer for the New York Mets, and you know now the Buck Showalter and the Mets got to figure out how um, they're going to be able to fulfill that ninth inning um, when they have a lead with three three or less runs. Yeah, I think really this is this huge and you you said it perfectly Brevin you know quoting Mike Trout what he was able to say about the situation and yeah I mean it it happens I I think it's eerily similar to you know myself being an Angels fan what I experienced watching uh Kendris Morales go down that one time when he Mm -hmm. celebrated at a home plate after a walk-off home run and uh I mean just that traumatic experience just kind of takes the soul out of you and that's exactly what happened here with uh edwin diaz so uh definitely a tough scene for him and uh his, his fan base uh those who follow him uh mets fans as well and yeah hopefully he's able to come back to even stronger from this because man you just hate to see something like this happen mm-hmm. yeah we think about puerto rico as we move transition from the fast five to well, baseball classic. This was a Puerto Rico team that did move on. They were um, the other the other team that moved on from pool D with Puerto Rico was Venezuela, who went undefeated in pool play. They won all four of their games. That means the Dominican Republic, for how strong they were with players like Manny Machado and 
Juan Soto and Julio Rodriguez and Rafael Devers, they went two and two and are and are out of the tournament. Israel went oh and th- or went one and three, and Nicaragua went one and four. Um, in Pool C, Mexico and the United States each advanced. Canada, um, who had players like Freddie Freeman on that team, um, they went two and two and are out. And then both going one and three from Pool C was Great Britain and Colombia in Group B. Japan went undefeated. They went four and zero as they moved on. And then Australia, they went three and one to move on as well. That means um, Team Korea, they're out. They went two and two. The Czech Republic, they went one and three. And then Team China, they went zero and four. Korea, Czech Republic, and China are out. And then in Pool A, Cuba and Italy moved on as all five teams had records of two and two um, within the. Um, pool play action, but because of the tiebreakers, Cuba and Italy move on. Netherlands, Panama, and Chinese Taipei were eliminated from pool play. And then moving on to the bracket rounds, the quarterfinals, Cuba um, as the pool A winner took on took on Australia as the pool B runner up. Um, they will face the winner of the United States and Venezuela. And then on the other side of the bracket, Italy takes um base Japan and then Puerto Rico and Mexico. Those were the those are the four quarterfinal matchups. Uh we had two quarterfinals already um already concluded with Cuba taking down Australia four to three, and then uh, Japan taking down Italy nine to three. Yeah, I mean this has been an incredibly competitive WBC as we've seen and I think last night I think most notably great to see what Mike Trout was able to do in uh, that game that he had a USA manager uh, Mark DeRosa saying uh, he's one of the best players of all time and to see uh, what Mike Trout did three hits uh, three RBIs in that game scoring all their runs um, just speaks volumes to what he's able to do and now they're in the quarterfinals, like you mentioned. So this is uh, really uh, becoming crunch time because uh, we, we saw how uh, competitive this team has been so far. They got to keep that up here and mm-hmm. build off that momentum. Yeah, the U.S. and Venezuela, you got players like Miguel Cabrera on that team. That game is on Saturday, March 18th at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, 4 o'clock Pacific. That game is at um, the home of the Miami Marlins in Florida. And then the fourth quarter final between Puerto Rico and Mexico. That game is um that game is actually underway. Let me see if I can get a score on that. Um hasn't updated yet on the site. Um oh that game is tomorrow actually. Uh Friday, March 17th, um at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Mm. Got it. So a wild uh, WBC, as we've said, so the semifinals, both Cuba move on. They'll take on the winner of the United States of Venezuela, and then Japan will take on the winner of Puerto Rico and Mexico. Those two winners, those two semifinal winners will move on to the championship game on Tuesday. Looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. All right, we think about all these stars um, that are in the WBC. We're going to move on to Major League Baseball. One of those stars who aren't with a team 
but still is a big face for their organization is outfielder Corbin Carroll, one of the rising stars in this game for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He agreed to an eight-year deal worth $111 million. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) when I was uh, in Arizona, you know, this past summer, uh, covering the Diamondbacks, you know, on a little bit of a minimal basis, but I went to a couple games. Um, Unfortunately, that was before Corbin Carroll uh, showed up in town, and I was able to speak to Alec Thomas, uh, another great outfielder, uh, young uh, stud that they have out there too. But uh, Corbin Carroll, man, I mean, just a great idea, I think, by the D-backs on their end to to lock him up uh, to um, this deal here. I mean, it's good value. You get him for a long time, and um, you're going to be able to see him uh, in a part of his prime. So I think that's ultimately what matters. He's really young and he has a lot of potential and they're going to be able to see a lot of that. Um, It's going to be interesting to see if he's going to be able to last those eight years, if he's traded beforehand or uh, if he signs elsewhere after. So, yeah, I mean, anything can really happen here, but I think really good investment because he has the potential. Mm -hmm. Last season, um, Corbin Corbin Carroll made his debut. Um, He played 32 games last year. Recorded 27 hits in 104 at-bats, scored 13 runs, had nine doubles, two triples, four homers, 14 RBIs, two stolen bases, um, hit 260 with an OBP of 330, and then slugged to 500 with an OPS of 830. Yeah, you know, like I said, ultimately it comes down to who he is as a player, and he is a young talent. And I would expect those numbers uh, to be put up by, you know, mm-hmm. a guy of Corbin Carroll's caliber and age. So um, he's going to get better this upcoming season and we're going to see it. And uh, I think he's going to continue to do that each season of his career as he progresses here on out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of young stars throughout the game. And as we preview our next uh, Major League Baseball division, this AL Central focuses highly on a lot of these young products within the game. You think about the Kansas City Royals, another another player going into his sophomore year, and Bobby Witt Jr. Ty, what do you think we can expect from Bobby Witt Jr. here in year number two and um, with this Kansas City Royals team? Yeah, I believe he's playing for uh, Team USA right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. Yeah, so it's great to see him in a position where he can continue to grow um while not even being involved in major league baseball um and his team but yeah he he's definitely going to be the face of that franchise and i think uh he's he's just coming off his rookie season but expectations are really high for him um i I think you know he he should definitely be an all-star uh annually from here on out i I think that's an expectation for him uh that's where the bar has been set even for him after you know his his short time being in the in the league but ultimately it it comes down to leading that team and the talent around him and i think one great mentor that i know that you really like brevin on that royal squad is uh salvador perez yeah he's one of the he's the last remaining piece from that 2015 world series championship team and 
Um, you know, who wouldn't you want better to lead your team than um, your catcher? You know, we think about, you know, especially when it leads to some of the former catchers that are managing today or have managed recently. You think about Mike Matheny, for example, who um, coached that team. You think about um, Bob Melvin, the list just goes on and on. You know, Buster Posey could be on that track in a few years, but you know, oh, yeah. we think about Salvador Perez and the impact that he's had. It's kind of similar to the way that, um, you know, the way that we kind of see with um, the quarterback that plays just right across the street in Patrick Mahomes and the way he's able to to lead the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's been um, so much fun just seeing the leadership that Salvador Perez has been able to grow um, from this and being that building piece um, for young players like Bobby Wood Jr., uh, make that adjustment to the major leagues. Yeah, I, I think, you know, ultimately it, it really has to come down to how this roster is constructed. I, I think the Royals front office, yeah, like we know that they're uh, a young squad and they're trying to, you know, come back to uh, prevalence here. But really, I, I think that's what they need to focus on is, is building around Salvador Perez and, and Bobby Wood Jr., and uh, as long as Salvador Perez is producing at a high level like he has been, I mean, really so far throughout most of his career, um, no reason in getting rid of him because he, he's been the face of your franchise, essentially. So um, important to keep him around. And like you said, mentor uh, the younger guys, Bobby Witt being one of them. And um, just because of how young Bobby Witt is, I mean, really – with his potential, the sky's the limit. I mean, we, we talked about that with Corbin Carroll as well. I mean, these guys really have such bright futures ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another team that is just like in the same situation of the Royals are the Detroit Tigers. You think about one of the uh, former first overall pick in Spencer Torkelson. You add in Riley Green yeah. in that mix. And you think about the um, the leadership on that Detroit Tigers team. You think about... Javi Baez, you think about Eduardo Rodriguez, um, and you think about a future Hall of Famer in Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, I like how you uh, brought up Spencer Torkelson, uh, Arizona State Sun Devil. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, great to see him, you know, take more steps being a part of this uh, Tigers organization. But yeah, I think you're right, Brevin. It's a really young team. There's a couple of veterans on it. I mean, Javi Baez, one, one of those guys who always stands out no matter uh, where he is, what he's doing. I mean, he's the face of that franchise when you think about really guys that stand out for the Tigers, um, as well as Miguel Cabrera, obviously. But, um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see um, how this team really performs this season. Uh, their roster makeup is uh, – I, I think a little interesting. It definitely needs improvement, but uh, I'm not entirely sure who's going to end up, you know, last in this division here, Brevin, because mm-hmm. um, anything is, uh, you know, really anything could really happen because when you think about it, last season, uh, the Chicago White Sox, they were expected to win this division and that did not happen at all. So I think really when it comes down to, these five teams being a part of this division um, expect the unexpected truly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's also a little bit different too, about the season, you know, for this Tigers team is they won't have their two-time all-star um, who was traded this off season to Philadelphia in 
Gregory Soto, he headlined a five-player deal. So, you know, some new opportunities, um, especially in that back end of that bullpen um, for this Tigers team this year as well. Some more newness across the American League Central includes the Chicago White Sox. They have new a new manager um, this season in Pedro Griefel, who we brought up earlier during the offseason. You think about this roster, Kyle, and the things that they couldn't quite accomplish, as we've noted multiple times, you know, whether it was during last season, during this offseason, how can Pedro Griefel hopefully turn those expectations into success here in 2023. Yeah, I, I think this team has good experience uh, and enough talent to really make some noise here uh, in the regular season and the postseason again. Like, the, the expectation is there, the bar is high, but it really just comes down to if they're able to put it together as a product on the field. So with, with that being the sort of issue that the White Sox have had, um, they're hoping that this change really comes about, like you mentioned, with their new manager, manager Pedro Griefel. Um, expectations still high. I, I think that um, I don't. I, I don't know, like the betting odds for this division, but I would expect the White Sox to be a, a top two team in that category, just because of what they already possess uh, within their lineup. I think their pitching, their pitching rotation stands out and their bullpen too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really mm-hmm. Yeah. You think about Lucas Giolito, you think about an AL Cy Young nominee and Dylan's a finalist in Dylan sees you add in the addition of Mike Clevenger. And then you think about that bullpen with Kendall Graveman and Liam Hendricks. Um, um, you know, it just helps out this team. Um, at the beginning of the game to the back end, um, as well as having Joe Kelly. I think the key also for this team is just staying healthy. That was the key last year in the difference of this White Sox team uh, having the type of year that they had, whether it was Luis Robert getting hurt to Tim Anderson getting hurt to all these different guys that are getting hurt. And on top of that, this is a White Sox team that won't have Jose Abreu um, at first base here. So, you know, a lot of challenges here um, for a younger White Sox team, but not as young compared to the Tigers and the Royals this season. Yeah, I, I think so too, uh, for sure. Um, it, it's going to be a competitive division, man. Like, I just can't even decide who's going to slot in, in, in each kind of spot here because I, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is going to be one of the more competitive divisions in baseball. I mean, in the coming years too, because that's kind of been the trend the past couple seasons. So um, with that in mind, these teams are going to make more moves and get more talented. And um, I think the twins too are, are a really good team to watch. Yeah. You think about um, the move that they made um, the, probably the biggest trade that they made this offseason season was acquiring Pablo Lopez to be part of that, more stronger and deeper rotation to give up um, the reigning AO batting champion, Luis Arise to uh, Miami for this trade. But I mean, this is, I think going to help that rotation. That's kind of been a little um, shortened over the years. You think about having Jose Barrios and he's gone, you know, and so it kind of, this move kind of supplants that uh, move that they made 
last year. And so you think about that rotation. That's also got Sunny Gray. We'll see the health of Hunjin oh. Ryu. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how Pablo Lopez fits into this rotation and the Twins can get back to being in the race for the division crown. Yeah, like you mentioned, I like this uh, roster a lot, too. I mean, really, all these rosters are so interestingly kind of constructed um, that it it warrants attention, for sure. So it's going to be interesting to see, uh, once again, how how this team really puts together results on the field. Uh, That's what matters. Um, I, I think they're pitching. Uh, could be a little incon- inconsistent, you know, that back end of that rotation. Um, but we're going to see if that actually uh, comes to be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you consider these five teams, Brevin, do you want to go ahead and make some some picks? Yeah, we got to talk about that four- that final team, though. I actually did not mean Hunjin Ryu and Kenta Maeda, who's been injured mm-hmm. most of last year. But that final team, who won the division last year, um, and you think about Terry Francona being the uh, manager of the year in the American League. You think about the Cleveland Guardians as well. They continue to be led by Jose Ramirez, who signed that big contract just before opening day last year. And also adding Josh Bell into that mix um, um, this season for the Guardians. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, when it comes down to a team that got better, I think the Guardians could could be up there, you know, uh, for this offseason, teams that definitely got better. Um, expectations high for them, like you mentioned. Really good roster construction. Um, Josh Bell, I mean, coming off the season that he had, um, it, it's kind of cool to see him get that contract out there in Cleveland and uh, become um, a part of that lineup, you know, likely being a DH first baseman at times as well too. So um, it's going to be fun. I like their pitching rotation. I think they have uh, some guys who really mix things up out there Um, and their lineup. I mean, just a lot of really good guys who can make contact and drive in a lot of runs. Yeah. You think about Shane Bieber at the top of that rotation with Aaron Savale. You think about Cal Quantrill as well. Zach Plesak is um, in addition to that. And you think about one of the top closers in this game on this roster too, in Emmanuel Classe to get to that ninth inning. You've got, um, you know, some good arms at all Tristan McKenzie's as well to fill out that rotation. So it's a good rotation. Um, And so it's going to be about how this team is able to get the ball to Emmanuel Classe. Um, in the ninth inning for sure most definitely all right um now you ready to uh make picks brevin yeah let's make these division winning picks here in the american league central kyle i'm gonna start with you who do you have winning yeah this year's um, al central crown man this is, this is tough here i mean really all these teams so talented um and how they've constructed their rosters um but it's tough because I think there's really the three teams that stand out, obviously, um, that being the Guardians, um, the White Sox, and the Twins, in my opinion. So um, I think the favor should be in the Guardians' way. 
Um, when you think about what they did this offseason, really just retaining a lot of guys on that roster and building upon it like we just talked about, um, I think that really stands out. I mean, we just really touted that rotation, just um, guys who are uh, reliable and, and can last out there, and that's all that matters, um, especially when you have a solid rotation, a really nice closer uh, who can back that up. So um, I, I, I like the Guardians to win this division, um, but I will say I, I think that the White Sox will uh, end up a wild card team or at least they should. That should be their expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think about this division as a whole, you know, we think about some of these young teams, some of these a lot of these teams have players in new roles this year or staff in new roles this year. Um so I think for me, I think it comes down to the Guardians or the Twins. We think about mm-hmm. also bringing back Carlos Correa to Minnesota, that also adds to yeah. um this thought and I think ultimately I'm going to go with the Guardians here. They didn't lose much um, during the off season, and um, uh, so I'm gonna take Cleveland as well. I could see the Twins, um, could be a wild card team. Depends on the other teams, um, within the within the American League. All right, next week we are gonna make we are going to go over the final, the sixth and final division, the American League East. Got teams like the Yankees, the MVP and Aaron Judge. We think about. Some of the up-and-coming teams, like we talked about with the Tigers and the White Sox, you think about the Baltimore Orioles, for example. We're going to talk about the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, the Tampa Bay Rays. We're going to talk about all five of those teams next week as the countdown to opening day has now reached less than two weeks. Yeah, uh, Brevin, before we move on here, uh, just a couple more things that I wanted to touch upon. The AL Central winner odds here for 2023, um, it, it kind of depends on your sports book but if we just say fandom for example it's the guardians plus 145 the twins plus 185 and the white Sox plus 250 what do you think about that yeah i think that makes sense um you know i think the stars are there in minnesota you know with byron buxted you mentioned um carlos correa you know it kind of makes sense we think about the uh, Type of player Byron Buxton is on the field, but off the with the injuries, it kind of holds him back, and it kind of holds back this team because of the the tools that Byron Buxton brings. You know, playing center field, has ability to hit within any of the top four spots in the lineup. So, um, those two pieces are going to be big for this Twins team. Another uh, notable thing here, Brevin, real quickly before we move on. Um, as we are recording, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, Thursday, March 16th, uh, right now just past 7.30 here on the West Coast, uh, number one seed of Houston's playing 16th seed in Northern Kentucky. And, man, Northern Kentucky, they're putting up a fight. It's 30-27 to 27 in favor of Houston, but uh, you never know what could happen in March, and uh, this could turn out to be a close one. Potentially, you never know. Yeah, you never know. We'll see how. I mean, we saw some of these other 16 seeds. They were close with their with the top seeds, um, but couldn't put together a second consecutive half of good basketball, which we'll talk more about um, yeah. when we get to NCAA March Madness. For sure. All right, we got one note of Padres news, even though there's so many that you can pick from. 
um, from Manny Machado and Juan Soto and Hassan Kim and these players in the WBC, but it's the one that is currently suspended but able to play spring training games. That is Fernando Tatis Jr., who will be on the suspension list until April 20th to um, due to a positive PED test last year. He'll um, be suspended for the remaining games that he has left to um, be um, not with the team. He got his spring training hit. He got his first spring training hit um, on Saturday, a former teammate and current Chicago White Sox pitcher Mike Clevenger after going hitless in his first 16 at-bats. Yeah, I mean, just good to see him get on the board, you know, uh, after everything that's happened to him. Um, 16 ABs, I mean, that's pretty significant. But, I mean, just good to see him, you know, reach base and uh, hopefully that gives him, you know, just – more of a, a clear mind as he approaches the plate here on. And, and it's spring training for a reason. I mean, it's not like he's playing in the World Series right now. So um, he's going to get better. He has that uh, little time frame, that window to improve as well, like you mentioned, Brevin, uh, that kind of first half of April, uh, give or take. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of adjusts to uh, life at a new position. But I think he's... Mm-hmm. Uh, more than willing to take on that challenge and uh, he's going to be electric and he's going to have a big impact on that team as we've seen so far throughout his career. Yeah. You have to realize this is a player who hasn't faced major league pitching in since 2021. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're approaching year, almost year and a half of that. You know, he had the couple of rehab games, um, before the suspension in double but it's nothing like facing major league pitching and it's all that he's trying to get to right now and um you know with bob melvin under um his guidance is not only does he get a transition to playing again at the plate but you mentioned transition to a new position going from shortstop to looks like right field here in 2023 all right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more March Madness. We're going to give you updates. Um, so during this break, before we get on to the second half, go check out our March Madness uh, episode that we recorded earlier in the week. We're going to talk more, probably get into more of our picks that we selected from that show. So go listen to that before uh, me tune into the second half of episode number 92 of Down the Line. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 92. I'm Brevin Honda alongside Kyle Betts. Here is March 16th, just before St. Patrick's Day. Tomorrow is we get you set on this weekend of sports. We're talking some more March Madness here in the second half. We talked some baseball in the first half. We talked news of Fernando Tatis Jr. getting his first spring training hit this, um, this spring training. We talked... 
the American League Central from Bobby Witt Jr. to Miguel Cabrera to a tumultuous offseason for Carlos Correa. That feels like an understatement for what he went through. But but now we're going to talk some more March Madness as we did in the Fast Five. The two biggest upsets, like I mentioned, were Furman taking down Virginia in the final seconds and at 15 seeded Princeton taking down the number two seed Arizona, both of those games in the South region. Yeah, I mean, just to see the sheer amount of upsets that have already happened here on the first day is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we've already seen that. Um, we're having the treat here today and tomorrow of uh, 16 games uh, each day, and it's going to be amazing to watch. I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to seeing what happens, uh, not only here uh today in this upcoming evening but also tomorrow and right now as we speak uh northern kentucky uh tied with houston right now 32 all um about 18 minutes left here in this in this ball game but man this is uh really exciting to see uh all these teams just compete against each other uh that usually never do yeah the Total margin of victory from the first two games, West Virginia and Maryland in an 8-9 matchup, as well as Furman and Virginia were combined to three points. Yeah. That's how close the first two games were with Maryland taking down West Virginia 67-65 and then Furman taking down Virginia 68-67 with a go-ahead three-pointer with about two seconds left in the game off a turnover from the Cavaliers. Missouri took down Utah State 76 65 Kansas, uh, as a one seed, took down 16 seed at Howard. 96 68, another one seed took down a 16 seed in Alabama. They took down Texas AM Corpus Christi. 96 75. The senior state Aztecs took down College of Charleston. 63 57. Mentioned Princeton, they took down Arizona. 59 55. Another eight nine matchup. Commence today. Two back-to-back eight-night matchups commence today. Arkansas took down Illinois. Arkansas, the eight seed. The Razorbacks move on. And then nine seed at Auburn in the Midwest region took down eight seed at Iowa, 83-75. Five seeded Duke took down Oral Roberts, 74-51. I know some people had Oral Roberts in a possible upset, but that did not happen. Um, number two, Texas in the Midwest region took down 15 seeded Colgate, 81 61. Number seven, Northwestern defeated 10 seed Boise State, 75 67. Mm-hmm. Um, games right now, we mentioned Houston and Northern Kentucky, they're tied at 34 right now with 16 30 left in the second half. Um, uh, with about 16 minutes remaining, Tennessee leads Louisiana 37. 23. Remember, Kyle, if you listen to our bracket show, Kyle took the Raging Cajuns to pull off the upset here. They're down 14 with 16 minutes left. Um, <laughs> UCLA is currently blowing out UC- UNC Asheville 40 to 19 with still three and a half minutes left in the first half. Also going on, Penn State, the 10 seed, they're up 27 to 15 on 7 seed. Texas A&M. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, it's been a fantastic uh, tournament so far. 
sometimes you know you pick some teams to win uh and ultimately it's other teams that upset uh other teams too so um i i just picked the the wrong upset i guess per se and we're gonna have to see uh how the rest of this uh first round of the tournament unfolds here uh tomorrow and into the weekend we're gonna have round two it's gonna be fantastic really looking forward to that too but man i mean just like you said once again what a fantastic tournament that's gone down so far we've already seen upsets i'm sure more are bound to happen here and yeah marsh madness is truly mad even here on the first day um and i think the the bar has been set high for the rest of the tournament though too surely Mm-hmm. Yeah, we think about some of these other upset teams that could possibly pull out a victory as a, a lower seed. You think about, um, I had Providence as an 11 seed beating 6 seed Kentucky. Um, you think about teams like Drake in the Midwest. You think about uh, VCU as a possibility. Um, so still, possi- still, um, still some upsets possibly out there um, as we enter the second day of the NCAA Division One Men's Basketball Championship Tournament. Yeah, it's it's going to be a really good rest of this tournament, I think, no mm-hmm. doubt about it. Um, once again, it, it comes down to me selecting so many high seeds in my brackets, and that's ultimately my downfall because we've already seen uh, two-seeded Arizona go down today in one of the biggest uh, – upsets we, we've seen i think in a while so mm-hmm. um, falling to a 15 seed very significant and um i i think with that trend and the other one that we saw earlier today with Furman coming out on top um mm-hmm. it's sure to continue that trend is mm-hmm. uh, as we continue um but i'm really looking forward to seeing what happens here um as uh uh, time goes on here in this tournament and uh, really like you said anything is bound to happen um these four regions are just so mixed up that i i think just it, it all makes it unpredictable from the jump mm-hmm. yeah we think about princeton the 15 seed it's the third consecutive year a 15 seed has won a first round game you think about oh, st yeah. peter's last year you think about Oral roberts the year before who's in this tournament spent losing um, to Duke earlier today. Yeah, I mean, when you put that in perspective, that's really surprising because sometimes, you know, I think Oral Roberts, you know, oh, they were 14 seed. No, they were 15. And St. Peter's, I mean, just the run that they put together. Hmm. One of the more historic you've seen from such a high, higher seed. And um, I, I feel like with that happening here again, uh, this year with the 15 seed coming out on top a third year in a row i mean that just shows that this truly is an unpredictable sort of competition and i think the fact that a perfect bracket has never been filled out um also contributes to that i mean it just goes to prove why it's called march madness and um the the random factor to it just really stands out um, especially here in really every first round that we watch. Mm-hmm. We think about some of these higher seeds possibly pulling off upsets. 
one other team that was possibly in in contention to pull off an upset was the 12 seeded College of Charleston, hmm. but the Aztecs uh, defended and made sure that did not happen. I was unable to watch the game. I was still coming back from Las Vegas. Kyle, how much of that assay game did you watch? Yeah, I watched pretty much the whole San Diego State uh, game against the College of Charleston here earlier this afternoon. And, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much your typical Aztec game. A lot of good defense, uh, good physicality on both ends of the floor. But at the same time, a lot of turnovers. Um completely um, locking the opponent down SDSU was in terms of um, not only their perimeter shooting, but down low too. I think they shot probably less than 35% on the day, but man, they were still within reach the entire way at the same time. And so SDSU had to continue to lock down. Micah Parrish had a huge three Mm -hmm. with two, two and a half minutes left in that game. That just really, set the tone for the rest of the way. And that was the biggest factor. Um, them being able to defend and hold on to that five point lead then um, from then and there on, I mean, just huge. And so the Aztecs now playing Furman uh, being in a position to potentially get back to the sweet 16 for the first time. And what nearly a decade now. Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch, and we're going to see if they're going to be able to do that in just a couple days here on uh, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an Aztec team today. Despite only putting up 60, 63 points, they still shot 43% from the floor. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you – that's what they say. Was it called go defense travels or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so along those lines. Uh-huh. All right, next week we're going to keep you updated – uh, on uh, the uh, uh, NCAA tournament, um, we'll give you next week. We'll talk about the rest of the sweet or the round of sixty-four, the first and second rounds that include um, they get set for the Sweet Sixteen next weekend, um, as well as um, the Elite Eight. Um, but for now, we're gonna move on to the NFL. NFL um, as a New league year began on Wednesday. It's something we talked about last week. It's similar to March Madness. It gives you the unpredictability of where players are going to go. And uh, we've already seen a hefty amount of reported or completed transactions, both in free agency or via trades um, so far. Yeah, I mean, it's been so far, in my opinion, a fantastic offseason so far here in the NFL. Uh, the legal tampering period uh, to talk to, you know, potential free agents, upcoming free agents, and at that time um, was back on Monday. And we saw a lot of deals take place between um, then and Tuesday which is the day before uh, the new year league, like you mentioned, that was on Wednesday. Um, and a lot of transactions took place. Um, it was really interesting to see how it all unfolded. Um, not only the free agent signings that happened, but the cuts, the trades. And that's the biggest factor here is we uh, are getting closer to the draft. We're about a month and a couple weeks away. Um it's going to be seeing how these teams approach 
their salary cap here when they have the opportunity to do so um, and really change the course of what they're able to do this offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of news that went, that went on over this past week. Um, it really kicked off on Sunday when Adam Schefter from ESPN reported that cornerback Jalen Ramsey is going to Miami. That uh, trade would would be processed on Wednesday with within the new league year. Kyle, thoughts about Jalen Ramsey going from the the West Coast to the East Coast? Yeah, huge trade. I mean, it's definitely going to be different seeing him in a. Dolphins uniform but at the same time we've seen him uh, live in that area of the country before he played in Jacksonville obviously that's where he was drafted and so he's going back to Florida and he's going to be a part of a really stacked defense especially Mm -hmm. um, that secondary uh, his his, uh, opposing corners Xavier Howard so I mean no better guy to have uh, playing opposite of you, and uh, they're getting better too. We saw that they traded for Bradley Chubb last season as well. Um, a lot of good young players on that squad, and uh, they're going to make, I think, an even deeper run this season than they did this year. Mm-hmm. Some other news reported from Adam Schefter comes from the Los Angeles Chargers. Running back Austin Eckler requested permission to seek a trade after contract talks contract talks stalled haven't seen any rumors on this trade or anything of that sort about austin eckler so it's going to be interesting to see if that actually does happen here soon um not sure how serious eckler is about this trade request um or if that will even go down <laughs> but uh, i mean if it does the chargers are definitely going to need a solution at the running back position there Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is a situation monitor. Um, but again, like I mentioned, since this report initially came out, haven't heard anything really since. Mm-hmm. Uh, we remain in the uh, AFC West where quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo is going to the Las Vegas Raiders uh, on a three-year deal worth $67.5 million and $34 million, um guaranteed. Well, there goes one of my uh, bold predictions yep. for the year, unfortunately. But, yeah, Jimmy G to the Raiders. I think this is something that not a lot of people saw coming, but it's it's going to be interesting because he gets a pretty hefty deal here, and a lot of people weren't sure if he was going to be a bridge quarterback or maybe even a backup, but he's earning starter worth of money, and he's got this – same duration as a starter here in terms of his contract. So he's the future of this franchise. Mm -hmm. Another move surrounding the Las Vegas Raiders included trading Pro Bowl tight end Darren Waller, or not Pro Bowl, yeah, Pro Bowl tight end Darren Waller um, to the New York Giants for a third-round pick. Yeah, that's the pick they got for Kadarius Toney. So Mm -hmm. I guess essentially they traded – Darren Waller for a first round pick because that's where they got Kadarius Tony um, in the draft. So, I mean, pretty solid here. I mean, they're they're stacking that depth at tight end. Uh, I think for us Aztec fans, it's unfortunate in, in a sense yeah. because we wanted to see Daniel Bellinger take that next step as a potential starting tight end, but he'll be a solid backup, and I'm sure he's going to get a lot of playing time. Mm-hmm. We'll get a lot to learn from Darren Waller, especially. Waller with his off the field 
um, situations that he had, both positive and negative over the last few years, um, from the community help to the mental health um, that he's had. Um, he'll be a big impact for uh, the New York Giants. And you think about from a Raiders perspective, they get that third round pick and you think about the tight ends and it's getting slimmer and slimmer for this Raiders team. So it looks mm-hmm. like the Raiders are going to be uh, gearing towards getting a tight end um, during the draft. Yeah. All right. We think about uh, a tight end within the AFC West. We think about Travis Kelsey. Obviously, he's remaining in Kansas City, but his brother, Jason, who is a center for the Philadelphia Eagles, has decided to play uh, for another year. Um, Reports came out that Philly signed him to a one-year deal uh, worth $14 million. Yeah, he's getting a lot of money in this deal, but I think they can afford it. Uh, They're managing their cap space pretty well. Um, They also signed Rashad Penny, which I think is pretty Mm -hmm. significant. Um, obviously for us Aztec fans here, but in terms of uh, their approach at the running back position, um, and I think in terms of the running game, uh, it really falls on the shoulders, quite literally, of Jason Kelsey. He's the catalyst of that O-line, and he is uh, pretty much undisputably the best center in the league, even at his age. So uh, Philadelphia is definitely going to be in good hands with him. Uh, touching the football on every single play. Um, that's where you want them. And um, no matter how much you need to pay them, um, they were willing to do it. They came together and they made it happen. Mm-hmm. Another move um, that was, I think, reported, I think he came in fish. I'm not quite sure, but it's wide receiver Alan Lazar signing a four-year deal with the New York Jets. This comes in, 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 in conjunction, that's the right word, um, with Aaron Rodgers being um, rumored to be traded to the Jets, like we said, at the top of our show um, to kick off the Fast Five. Yeah, and Rodgers said on the Pat McAfee show that he was like, I, I think he said, that that's stupid if you think that I was recruiting all these guys. Like, <laughs> um, like he had no influence. So like, I'm, I'm sure he did. Um, obviously, uh, the whole wish list situation with Adam Schefter – uh, him telling Schefter to lose his number. Um, that was definitely interesting. <laughs> but, I mean, either way, the concept of Schefter's report, however you interpret it, it was it, it was going to happen. So Alan Lazard, uh, officially, we believe, signing here with the Jets too. Um, Randall Cobb uh, was rumored to sign with them as well. So, I mean, in a sense, Aaron Rodgers is bringing his boys over uh, to New York with them. When's Aaron Jones going to follow that, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, pretty <laughs> much, right? I mean, they uh-huh. could a running back. I mean, yeah. they pretty much need all the help they can get at that spot. Uh-huh. Especially <laughs> with, uh huh, yeah, the injury to uh, Brees Hall last year. Mm-hmm. All right, speaking of running backs, another move uh, doesn't involve the New York Jets or the Green Bay Packers, but does involve one of the Green Bay Packers rivals, and that's uh, former Detroit Lions running back Jamal Williams. He agreed to a three-year deal uh, with New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, this is his uh, third NFL deal here. I mean, this is uh, pretty solid here. Um, he's earning a lot of money. I believe this contract was $33 million. I saw it earlier, and I think he's getting 
paid really well. He's getting a solid deal. He led the league in touchdowns last season. And the Saints are getting a guy for, I mean, what, $11 million average annual value. And that's yeah. not even guaranteed money. So mm-hmm. uh, really good pick up here because we still don't know what's going on with the legal status of Alvin Kamara. So with that <laughs> in mind, um, they're getting a guy who runs really hard and he has a really good personality for yeah. the media team. Mm-hmm. You think about Jamal Williams, 17 rushing touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I think it was last year. Take all those touchdowns away from DeAndre Swift a year ago. And now we know for sure that DeAndre Swift is going to be that RB1 uh, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. At least for now. Yeah. You mm-hmm. never know what can happen. Yeah. Uh, speaking of running backs, um, the Dallas Cowboys uh, released running back Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, I didn't think this was actually going to happen, but it did. And uh, we saw earlier uh, in the week, um, or I believe it was last week actually when it happened, that Tony Pollard was franchise tagged by the team. So clearly that played a factor into the Cowboys' decision here in order to um, you know, create some more cap space. Um, obviously some dead cap as a result of this re- release, but uh, Zeke making way here, uh, adding more cap space for this team to work with here to sign some more free agents. Um, it, it's odd because I believe he's the third best rusher statistically in franchise history. So seeing him in another uniform next year is uh, definitely going to be tough to describe. It's going to be odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be interested to see where Ezekiel Elliott goes. There's obviously teams that need more running backs to their depth. Mm-hmm. Um, but another running back who was signed was Samaje P. Ryan going to the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I like this deal a lot here. The Broncos bringing in Samaje P. Ryan. He really proved last season, I feel, that he could do really everything, uh, whether it was from that uh, third down back role or when he stepped in and was a starter in the absence of Joe Mixon. I mean, he was a really good pass catcher. He could block well and he ran hard and (laughs) he seems to be getting better with age. I think he's, he's gotta be at least what 38 years old now. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's 27. So Mm -hmm. um, this is a good deal for him. He's going to get a lot of playing time next season. I think too. Um, especially with Javante Williams, he's going to have to recover at least until I believe halfway yeah. through the season. So, uh, Samaje Piran could be RB1. If not, we'll see what happens. But, um, this is the first uh change at running back we've seen this offseason, and it's not going to be the last. All right, we just watched two months later, just before the season or just before fall camp starts, Kyle. Melvin Gordon signs with the Denver Broncos. Yeah, he probably will. <laughs> uh, all right, another receiver um, signed. One of the top receivers on the free agent market was Juju Smith-Schuster, who signed a three-year deal with New England. This comes after Jacoby Myers signed a three-year deal with Las Vegas. Yeah, that's a really good point there. I think, you know, you bring up Jacoby Myers. He was kind of their... Uh, go-to guy he would play in slot he could also play out wide like super versatile and Juju can kind of do the same I think Juju is a little better in the slot but 
Um, for this Patriots team last season, when you think about it, when it wasn't Jacoby Myers, the leading receiver in the slot, it was Tyquan Thornton. And yeah, I, I think they definitely needed some help here at receiver, and they're getting a little bit of that in Juju Smith Schuster. He is a Super Bowl champion. Okay. Uh, that he just won with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. But I, I think really here this move is important because, like you mentioned, Jacoby Myers, he led the team receiving by a lot of yards, like a significant mm-hmm. amount, uh, nearly 260. So um, if not more, actually, according to my math, that is really bad like, looking at stats. <laughs> but um, I, I think really what it comes down to is just bring in more guys with experience, and that's what Juju has, and he's going to cater to how this uh, offense runs, especially at receiver. Mm-hmm. Another move that happened earlier this week um, was the Cincinnati Bengals signing four-time Pro Bowler left tackle Orlando Brown to a four-year deal worth $64 million. We saw the Bengals really make a lot of uh, moves after the Super Bowl two years ago. And uh, I think they were really able to address that last offseason. But uh, really, the problem this past season, even with those changes, was uh, Joe Burrow. I mean, we know how mobile that he can be, but he still was sacked. 44 times this past season. And so that offensive line, they still have some improvement to make. And here they see them, we see them making a really huge move um, in really plucking one of the Chiefs uh, underrated starters, in my opinion. And they add him to this lineup. Mm-hmm. Two quarterback moves, in addition to Jimmy Garoppolo being moved, included Gardner Minshew signing a deal with the Indianapolis Colts. And then Baker Mayfield being the next quarterback after Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. I'll start with Baker Mayfield in Tampa Bay first uh, because you just mentioned it. It's interesting. I think uh, he's probably going to end up being the starter there, to be honest with you. I think he really proved himself, you know, even in that short stint on the Rams. But, I mean – when you consider him or Kyle Trask, I mean, he Trask was a second rounder, but we haven't seen really anything out of him. Um, if this is a true quarterback competition, which I believe it could be right now, um, it could come down to some preseason games to determine the starter here. So that'll be interesting to follow. Um, most definitely, I, I think of, of both those quarterback situations. And you mentioned Gardner Minshew. Um I think really being in a bridge backup role for this Colts team is solid to have because we saw him last uh, season. He started on Sunday night football. He put up a pretty good fight. He, he played a good game. He still showed that he has a lot left in the tank. He's still young and he can produce when he needs to, when he's called upon. So um, if they need him as a bridge or backup, he's that guy. And um, I wanted him on the Broncos as their backup. Um, the Eagles have in these past couple of seasons, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how all these moves affect their teams comes week one of the NFL regular season just after Labor Day in September. But for now, we're going to move on. We got one final segment. We got trivia where I am on the block. Um, before we get that, let's do a quick NCAA tournament March Madness score update. 
Yeah. Um, last time we checked, Houston and Northern Kentucky were within five, about five points of each other. What was it, Kyle? Right. Uh, last time we checked in, I believe it was a tie, tie? Or a three point game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was. Houston, I think it was a little closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Houston has now grown or extended their lead to ten. Now it's fifty three forty three with about seven yeah. minutes left. Um, Louisiana's trying to make a run in a, oh. getting back into that game against Tennessee. They're down by five with seven minutes left as well. Um, it's halftime between UCLA and UNC Asheville about to get set for the second half. 46-25 in favor of the Bruins. And it's also halftime between Penn State and Texas A&M. It's all Nittany Lions. They're up 38-22 on the Texas A&M, the Aggies. All right, let's get to trivia now. I am on the block. I'll let Kyle take it away as the subject is based on Aztec Hoops, San Diego State. Yeah, it's tournament time in San Diego State this season. As we all know, is a five seed, and they're moving on to play Furman, as we mentioned here earlier in the episode. And uh, I'm just going to ask you a couple questions here, Brevin, about uh, the Aztecs and a couple uh, facts here and there about their history. So yeah. um, let's start here off with their all-time record. Um, they have a lot of wins. Uh, we, we all know that uh, the history of this team really lies – uh, with Steve Fisher being a part of a lot of those games, being a part of that all-time record. But their all-time winning percentage is this number. And I'm going to give you a number, and you're going to tell me if it's uh, over or under that number. So the winning percentage I want to give you for the San Diego State Aztecs all-time is 596. Ooh. There were some lean years within that. Yeah. I think it's higher, though. Think about 2010, 2011, 34-3. I did a 31-5 year, 30-2. and two. You know, now the Isaacs are 28-6. So I'm going to go higher here. You go higher. I like that. Uh, it is actually lower. Oh, it's lower? Actually oh. lower. So I said 596. It's actually 569. That is their all oh. Record. Um, that being uh, 1,485 wins, oh. 1,125 losses. They also have a tie. When did the, I wonder when that tie happened? Oh, that had to be in like the 40s when they were part of uh, the early years. Yeah, for sure. Um, Those days yeah. in Peterson Gym. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, so being a part of the Mountain West, um, they have played in the uh, conference uh, regular season uh, for quite some time now, and they've been tournament champions as well. But um, can you, in the past decade, can you name how many times the Aztecs have been conference regular season champs? Ooh. From Let's see. From 2013 to 2023. Um, oh, gosh. Man, I look at the banners every time they do the anthem, and then I can't remember it now. Um, <laughs> Let's see. 
when it matters. Yeah, I know when it matters most. Um, well, let's see. This year counts as one. Yep. Twenty twenty one, they were regular season champs. Yep. Um, they were regular season champs in twenty twenty. Oh, is it going thirty and two and sixteen and two in conference play? Yep. Or seventeen and one. Seventeen and one. Um, okay. Um let's see. Twenty eighteen, I wanna say. They were not in twenty eighteen. They won the tournament that year, but they did not win the regular season title. That is, yeah, that's yeah, yep, that's correct. Um oh here we go. 2014, where they had to go to an unconventional 1-3-1 zone to beat New Mexico in a dramatic comeback at the Ajos. Yep, yep. Very good. Um, I think there's one more, and that was 20... That was the year after. Um, 2014-15 uh, season. They did also win in 2015. Oh, okay. Oh. So you're looking for one more. One more. All right. Uh, so you're doing really well here. Let's see. Regular season. Regular I season. I don't think they won in 2013 because that was New Mexico. Was the year that the, with Barstow and Kendall Williams. I don't think it was right. That. Um, I'm going to go, I don't think this is right, but I feel like it's 20, it's either 16 or 17. If I had to choose one, and I'm going to go 17, that year Trey Kell was a junior. 2017. It is not 2017. Oh, darn. The Aztecs did not win a championship at all in 2017 no they made the nit though that year yeah yeah yep that's right yeah all right what was the year i was missing all right so the year you're missing is 2016 that's when yeah. they won the regular season but they didn't win conference tournament no. but yeah that's that was a tough one you did very well though i'll give you that for sure Kyle, can you go over the years that they won the regular season title yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the years they went uh, all the way in the conference regular season, at least in the Mountain West, once again, um, let me pull up here real quick. There we go. Um, is 2014, 2015, 16, 20, 21, and then this season as well. So um Aztecs really uh showing that they can kind of make runs I guess for the conference regular season yeah you think about that drought that in between the right in the middle mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking about teams like Nevada with Jordan Caroline the uh, the twins that are now in the NBA Cody and yeah. Cody Martin and Caleb Martin mm-hmm. um yeah it's been Kind of like Gassics are getting back to that form of where they were at the beginning of this decade, 2013-14. Yep, absolutely. Um, 
All right. Last question here for you, uh, Brevin, in terms of our trivia here for San Diego State basketball. Um, in terms of the Aztecs NCAA tournament's heating history, um, yeah. what has been their technically highest seed that they, they've ever had in the tournament? The best seed they've had. Oh. You know the it seed? Was, you know which yeah. Year? It was the Sweet 16 year. Okay. They were the uh, oh my god, I always get this confused. <clears throat> they were the uh they were the two seed that year. Yes. Yep. Twenty eleven. Yeah. Twenty eleven, they were the two seed. That was their best ever seed in the NCAA tournament, like you mentioned. Uh Aztecs uh went to the Sweet Sixteen. The next year 2012, they were the sixth seed. That was their second ever highest seed, or second ever best seed, I should say, in school history. And the Aztecs followed it up, um, not last season, but the year before, 2021. That was the last time they had the sixth seed. Um, that was tied with their um, second mm -hmm. best ever seed yep. in 2012. So they also had the four seed. In 2014, yeah. when they went to the Sweet 16. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Totally mm -hmm. missed that four seed yep. um, back in 14. So you're absolutely right. So uh, two seed back in 11, four seed back in 14. And now this season is uh, third on that list. Mm -hmm. Yep. Aztecs with the five. And uh, Revan and I are surely going to be following the Aztecs as they... Uh, play their second round matchup here this weekend and uh, next week March Madness it's going to be chaotic and it's going to be a lot of fun we're going to bring you all of that action as we uh, record our next episode here of Down the Line and how it all unfolds really looking forward to seeing what happens here in the NCAA tournament